to another episode of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritsch and Rick Roaring with all of you. And it's Monday night. It is February 6, 2023. We only have about five of these weekly shows left before we get into postseason basketball. So I'm going to start like I usually do when we get to this point in the season. Xavier moved up three spots to number 13 today in the AP poll. Musketeer is sitting right now 24th in the net today. And uh, Xavier's in bracket matrix in the last update from, I believe it was today, it was partially updated today, Xavier's the last three seed on the snake. Xavier is right behind Kansas State and right above Iowa State, a couple of big 12 teams in there. But Xavier, like I said, the last three seed in the field right now, Xavier's two spots above Marquette. Marquette is currently uh, sitting at 10th in the country. Five Big East teams ranked this week. Marquette is 10th, Xavier 13th, Providence at 20, UConn at 21, and Creighton at 23. Marquette plays Connecticut on Tuesday night in Connecticut. If Connecticut wins that game, that would give Xavier the inside track for the Big East regular season title. Don't want to get ahead of myself, but if you project out the favorites the rest of the way, If UConn wins that game tomorrow night, even if Xavier was to lose to Marquette and Providence, just projecting out favorites, assuming Marquette loses one more, uh, Xavier would have the inside track for the one seed in that that, uh, scenario. But obviously a lot of basketball to be played from here on out. We're taking your calls all night, but Rick and I are going to start like we usually do, just talking about the last week, previewing the upcoming week. Xavier, in this past week, a couple of things to talk about. An easy, easy win over St. John's, but a much more difficult and a much more exciting win over Providence in overtime, 85-83, to in a game that was between, at the time, two first-place teams in the Big East. Xavier gets it done in overtime without Zach Fremantle. Xavier goes 2-0 and in their first week without Zach Fremantle. And Rick, that's where I want to start this show. Um... How much of this without Zach Fremantle do you think is sustainable or are they catching lightning in a bottle right now with teams that haven't adjusted to what Xavier looks like without him? Look, I mean, not having Zach Fremantle makes a difference. There's no question. You you just have less pop at that forward spot on offense. Now, the way Jerome Hunter is playing makes it not as big of a deal as you would have thought it would be had you told us this a month ago or two months ago. Jerome Hunter is legitimately playing like a starting forward in the Big East right now. And there's not there's a drop off, but it's not so significant. And that that drop off comes on the offensive end. When you go to the other end of the floor, Jerome Hunter is Xavier's best defender right now. Sean Miller just said that on his coach's show tonight that he has developed into their best defender. So, yes, you've given up something on the offensive end for sure. But Jerome Hunter is outperforming expectations right now on offense. And defensively, he's been an upgrade. So you're asking me whether this is sustainable or not. I think it is because you're you're improving your biggest weakness, which is your defense. And there's enough firepower at the other positions on offense to make up some of what Zach was doing. And, and how are they doing that so far? Well, some of it's been Jerome, but a lot of it's just been Things like giving Jack Nungy a few more touches in the post. Jack's averaging like 22 or 23 points a game in the few since Zach Fremantle's been down. And I think it's just led to him getting a few more looks. I think it's led to Desmond Claude playing a few more minutes and and getting a few more points here. And just all around, guys like Adam Kunkel and Colby Jones getting an opportunity to be a little bit more aggressive on offense. That's kind of how they've distributed those extra points and made those up that they're not getting now from Zach Fremantle. 
Yeah, Fremantle going out, it, it posed a lot of worry around the fan base. So all of a sudden, now you're missing your second leading score. What are you going to do? Are you going to be able to recover? What's going to happen? And I think you hit the nail on the head where obviously you're a better team with Zach Fremantle in the lineup, but you're also improving defensively, which is where you were struggling all season, right? We talk so much, can Xavier make up ground defensively? Can they do anything defensively that will give you hope? in March in the tournament to make a run in the tournament this year. And now you, you drop down to a six-man rotation, and you get some depth this weekend. You get some minutes out of guys that you haven't seen too much, four minutes out of Deontay Miles, four out of Kiki Tandy there toward the end of the game. But you get 10 minutes out of Cam Craft, 10 out of Cesar Edwards, and 32 minutes out of Jerome Hunter, the only player on the team to play more than 30 minutes in that game. So – You've seen Xavier win a couple of ways this week. They grit out that game against Providence, and then they cruise to a win over St. John's. Xavier's up 7-0 in that game, and it was over from the jump. I know St. John's had travel issues, and there were there were some other issues with St. John's. With just uh, you know, They didn't get to Cincinnati until two or three hours before the game. I don't think personally that matters too much to college kids, but that, that was at least a little storyline. Um, but I, I think you're spot on, Rick, with Jerome, that you, you pick up – uh, you, you pick up the slack defensively and he's played well enough offensively that you're, you're not really losing a, a ton, at least right now, at least through those first two games. Well, and I mean, first of all, both of those, you know, the Providence game specifically was against quality competition and it was a game you pulled out in overtime at home, which you definitely needed to. The St. John's game, St. John's isn't playing as well, but I mean, I think it's still a team that that tests you in terms of your athleticism and your depth and your conditioning and all of those types of things. So this game wasn't played at quite the same pace as that that first game between these teams, but it's still pretty up-tempo and, and they're putting pressure on the ball and all of those types of things. I will say, when you talk about the defense, it has not improved since Zach Fremantle went down. They've dropped a few spots in Ken Palm, I believe. They're at 101 right now. And you had the Providence game, which wasn't very good in terms of uh, defensive efficiency. But if we're talking about this team's path to improving defensively, and again, I don't think there's a ton of upside there, but just getting better at all, the two guys you were going to need more out of were Jerome Hunter and Desmond Claude. Those were the two guys that give you some upside on the defensive end. And as a result of this injury to Zach Fremantle, those two guys are now getting more of a chance, being forced into a bigger role. And so far, the results have been pretty good. So um, I, I wouldn't say this is a blessing in disguise that Zach went down, but who knows? Maybe if he comes back for the end of the year, these guys have been playing this whole time and, and playing well and getting better and more confident. All of a sudden, when you get into the tournament, maybe you now have those extra two defenders who are ready to play a starter-like role ready to go for the postseason and can give you more defensively than you otherwise would have had. Yeah, and Sean Miller talked about it after the game on Saturday against the St. John's – or after that St. John's game where he talked about how important he felt like it was to see Des Claude continuing to shoot the ball as well as he did. Des had 11 points on Saturday, 4-4 four four shooting three threes. Um, that's exactly what you need out of a guy like him and only one turnover again when he's on the floor for over 20 minutes. You're starting to see him mature more and more and more. I mean, Rick, you and I remember as, as well as anybody here in this chat how much praise and overwhelming hype we had in the preseason for Des Claude. And it took him a while. It took him a little bit to, to get his legs under him. But now, whether by design or by force, he's on the court and he's making the most of it. 
Yeah, and I think he's made a huge jump all of a sudden in the last two or three weeks here. He looks like a different player. The, the three-point shooting is one thing, but even aside from that, if you go back to uh, which game? Was it the UConn game? Yeah, it was UConn yeah, where he had yep. the dunk in the middle of the lane on Klingon, and he had that um, other basket where he, it wasn't exactly in transition. It was more like secondary break where he kind of hesitated at the top of the key, then blew by a defender, went in and finished, and he had to stick back. Like that was to me the sort of turning point where he started to show more confidence and look like a playmaker and look like he was speeding up all of a sudden and the game was slowing down. Uh, the rest of the season, it's been like he's been playing slow and thinking too much and the game around him is moving too fast. Now all of a sudden, it's the opposite. All of a sudden, his athleticism is starting to shine through and he's able to shift into that extra gear that a lot of the other players on the floor don't have. And um, he's becoming productive and he's giving them something defensively too. So I think that that Desmond Claude narrative and that storyline is only going to continue to get better for Xavier. So let me go back here to Zach Fremantle for a second. If you remember last year, uh, he had that surgery on the same foot last season, right around when the season started. And then all of a sudden he came back, he missed a few weeks of the regular season, but he came back and he never really looked like himself. I think everybody here listening would agree with the fact that he, he never really looked like himself last year. Didn't have a great year overall. And there was all the, the question was, was it because he missed the preseason? Was it because there was a lingering issue didn't fully recover, whatever it was, how much of that Rick do you look at this year where he missed, he's now going to miss extended time again, probably about a month, and you're going to have to put him back in the lineup in the most important part of the year. It's just so hard to judge right now because we don't know how he's going to be feeling. Yeah. Like, whether he comes back or not in a month, is he going to be 100%? Is he going to be close to it at 95 or 90% and just has to get his wind and his conditioning back? Or is it a thing where he's still feeling discomfort, but he can play through it, and he feels like about 80%, something like that? Those are very big differences in terms of what you're going to get out of Zach Fremantle, I think. Now, part of what happened last year is I think mentally he wasn't in it the same way. I think he came back. He didn't play like himself. The team started playing poorly and, and it kind of coincided with when he came back to the team. And I think mentally he, I don't know if he checked out, but I think he got frustrated. And so he wasn't in the same mental state that he is now. So I think he's much more prepared to come back and be able to provide something right away and sitting out for a month isn't the same as missing like a month of preseason and the first month and a half, two, two months of the season, whatever it was last year. That's a lot more time that he missed last season and harder to get back on track because you never got going to begin with. Everybody else was in midseason form and you were just trying to get yourself into shape last year. This will be a little bit different. He's played most of a season. He's played very well. His confidence was high. Will, will there be some rust? Will he be feeling discomfort still? That remains to be seen, but I think he's in a much better spot this year to come back from the injury than he was a season ago. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. I think that the way that the, this Xavier team is positioned right now, and how much of that do you think is a guy like Sean Miller who has been around the block? Um, he's he's dealt with things, and I really I tried, um, and I can't go back and find it, but I had a note about the, the injuries that Sean has dealt with, because I tried to go back and see if there were any scenarios that were comparable to this, and I had a couple, and I, I can't find it. I tried to be prepared, and of course, Good work. Blow it. Um, I had it here somewhere, and I've been scrambling here to find it, and I can't find it. But there were two examples I had of uh, players like Zach that had gotten injured during um, Sean's coaching tenure at Arizona, and uh, he had still managed, obviously, to 
put things together and, and have a good season. Um, what do you think is the biggest thing that you're looking for, Rick, out of an adjustment here when you're, you're talking about going to Marquette and you're going to Providence and some of these bigger games, not, not, you know, Butler, DePaul, the games you have to win, but against the lesser teams in the big East, these bigger games that Xavier's going to keep getting tested in on the road that they need to win with only a six man rotation. What, what was the question in there? Was there a question in there? Or were you just saying a lot of words? I'm not really no, sure what no, just happened. No. Yeah, basically, I'm just saying a lot of words. Okay. I'm saying a lot, okay. of, saying a lot of words. No, I'm just just basically like the, the depth of what's, of what's going on here with Zach and when you're going against these bigger teams instead of teams like St. John's or DePaul or Butler that you might be able to get by just based on talent. Well, I mean, I don't think Providence – That I don't think that was the case with Providence. I think Providence is, you know, a, a very legit team that's competing for – the, the top of the conference. So uh, that was a good way without Zach Freeman. I don't think there's going to be much of an adjustment here. I think the big key is how do they find a way to continue to avoid playing the rest of the bench? They want to stick to these top six guys. Now with Zach, it was top seven without him. It's the top six. They want to stick to those guys as much as possible. Like, can you, can you sneak Cam Craft in here, here and there, a little bit of Kiki Tandy, maybe occasionally Cesar Edwards for a minute or two to, to rest a guy. Or if you get in foul trouble, great. But for the most part, I think they're going to try to be as creative as possible about playing different lineups and utilizing those guys together differently in different combinations to, the, to where they don't have to go past those six guys very often. Um, right on that, I'm going to ask this question now just because it's related to that. I saw somebody on the message board said, uh, Rick and Paul, in case I don't make it in time, wanted to ask about Cesar. He just seems to beat behind making plays, whether it's grabbing a rebound or making a defensive rotation. Am I imagining things? If I am somewhat on track, do you attribute that to a lack of game time? Or is it Big East level basketball that's a bit uh, high pace for him? Thanks for doing the spaces. So far, it's been a little bit fast for him. I think you saw last year they were hesitant to put him in until late in the season. I think that's probably because he was a bit behind. And you've seen a lot of the same thing this year. He started off really slow, didn't look like he was in their plans at all. And as the season has gone on, his talent is starting to show through a little bit. He looks a little bit more comfortable with what they're doing out there. But as far as the remark that he seems a, a beat behind or a step slow, I think that's pretty accurate. And I think that's probably because he's either not recognizing things or he's thinking too much while he's on the floor. And uh, either way, it's, it's what's made it tough for him to be very productive yet at the Big East level. Yeah. Um, I did see somebody posted a thread on the message board as well uh, talking about the the Big East tournament and where Xavier could be positioned right now. Xavier has a 78% chance to end up as a top two seed in the tournament and a 0% chance to play on Wednesday night, which is, I'm sure, a welcome uh, – it's, it's a welcome uh, sound to hear for people that are – worried about what could potentially happen with this team. I don't think there's anybody worried about this team right now playing on Wednesday, but the way that this is lining up, it, it's coming down to Providence, Xavier, Marquette, Creighton, and Rick Creighton. If, if we want to talk about the big East here, just in general, uh, Creighton right now on the outside looking in, but for my money, I, I just see Creighton Marquette and Xavier. I don't think Providence is going to factor into this down the stretch. I think, they have a tough schedule coming down here in February, but I would not be surprised if Creighton, the way they're playing right now, made a run. I could Great. see it, um, but I, I tend to think it's going to come down to Xavier and Marquette personally, based on what I've seen to this point. Um, now that Marquette UConn game is going to be interesting tomorrow night on Tuesday, recording this on Monday, obviously. Um, 
I that that's going to be a big game, and I'll, I'll be interested to see that result to see where Marquette goes from here. But if they win that one, I think they're in a very good position to to win the conference. Then, and, and obviously, that would set up for a huge rematch between Xavier and Marquette uh, a couple Wednesdays from now. Actually, really next Wednesday, I guess. Yeah, next Wednesday, the fifteenth. Yeah. Uh, Creighton down the stretch, the reason I say that about their schedule is they do play UConn again. They do play Marquette again, but those are both at home. Outside of that, they do go to Providence. They have Seton Hall. They have St. John's. They have DePaul. They have Georgetown. Um, they finished up with Butler. I know Xavier has Butler twice, but right now I thought somebody pointed it out. It's basically it's going to come down to these these teams not taking a loss that they shouldn't take and then – between Xavier Marquette and Xavier potentially at Providence there on March 1st. I just think it, like you said, Xavier, Xavier and Marquette, is, is Marquette going to crumble again? That's, that's the biggest question. We've seen what they've done in February over the last three or four years. Last year they were uh, seven, seven and four going into February, and they finished, they finished the season 11 and eight. And the year before that, they didn't play very, they, they lost, three of their first four games in February and four of their first seven. So I, I just can Marquette keep it together down the stretch. The schedule sets up for it, but they still, again, they have to play UConn. They have to play Xavier again. They have to play Creighton, but they have DePaul Butler and Georgetown mixed in there too with St. John's to finish the year. So I just yeah. think Shaka in the past has grinded his guys down so much with that defensive mindset and flying around and, and playing so hard on that end. And then, Offensively, it was a lot of sets and kind of ugly basketball. He's really changed his philosophy on the offensive end, and that's led to them being fourth in the country in offensive efficiency. They, they Kind of similar to Xavier. It's a lot of flow game. It's a lot of just creating closeouts and forcing the defense to scramble and playing off of reads. And obviously having a point guard like Tyler Kolek helps because he is a savage when it comes to making plays and reading defenses and those types of things. So – I mean, it really, they play a beautiful style now on offense. I think it's a lot more fun for these guys. I think it's a lot less of a grind. And, you know, granted, they're only 54th in defense this year. They've had to sacrifice on that end a bit. But to me, it's made them a much more dangerous team. And I, I don't think that they're going to fold down the stretch this year. I mean, I, I could end up being wrong because they do have a difficult schedule for sure with the games at Creighton, game at UConn, and they, they still have to play Xavier too, but that game's at home. I just I'm curious to see where it goes, but I think that the philosophy switch on the offensive end has been really good for this Marquette program. Yeah, and it's funny doing the projections to just play in the game of where Xavier may end up on the uh, on the bracket in the Big East tournament. If you if you get the one seed, you're probably ending up with St. John's or DePaul on Thursday night, and then on Friday night it would be either UConn or Providence. And then on the flip side, if you get the two seed, you think to yourself, okay, well, you probably have a little bit easier of a side of the bracket. But then there's a chance you play Villanova on Thursday night. Villanova being in the seven seed down there right now could maybe move up into the six, but either way on the bottom side of the bracket. That's just wild to think. I mean, personally, I have no interest in playing Villanova. And I've seen people talk about it, but I would have no interest in playing Villanova in the Big East tournament. I just... But then again, Justin Moore, I, why is Justin Moore playing right now? It's a little bit of a shock. It seemed like when, when things started to go south with their season, it looked like they weren't going to be uh, an at-large team. 
that he would probably call it quits and start preparing for a professional career, but he decided not to do that. So, I mean, it helps Villanova's chances. That's for sure. I, I just don't know if he's going to be back into form by the end of the season. Yeah. Okay. One last thing here. Talk a little bracketology before we take some calls. I mentioned at the top of the show, Xavier is sitting right now as the last three seed in today's uh, bracket matrix update. Marquette is two seeds below Xavier as the second four seed. So that would put Xavier as the 12th ranked team in the country right now if you just go by the the bracket snake. Um, Where do you think, sitting here on February 6th, Rick, I'll put you on the spot, where do you think Xavier ends up? I have some thoughts, but where do you think they end up? I think there's a very good chance they end up as a three seed. Okay. Um, I think four is probably going to be the lowest. Yeah, I do think that they will end up being a protected seed. I think the the Big East winner will end up being a three seed, and then you just it's your dealer's choice between Xavier and Marquette, and the other one will be a four. I feel like that's how it'll play out. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that seems fair. They just the Big East is interesting this year because you don't have that top seed like you've had Villanova in the past that's dominated the conference and competing for a, a one or a two seed, but you do have a little more strength in terms of. Xavier and Marquette could be both could both be a protected seed. Connecticut and Creighton aren't far behind. Like all of those teams have the opportunity to be a top four or five seed at least still. And I think that gives the the conference overall a little bit more depth when you head into the tournament this year. It is weird. It feels like every year when we get to the Big East tournament, we're talking with everybody about the Big East tournament. We're doing the preview shows and everything. We constantly do the 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 Big East is wide open talk and and do that every year. But really it's, it's Villanova hanging over everybody's heads and you just, you don't have that this year. You don't. And I still don't really love the idea of playing a Villanova team that has guys on there that have been there and done that in the big East tournament, but still they just game after game, you watch Villanova and they just don't look like they have it, whatever it is. They don't have it this year. And that's that. So, Rick, you want to start taking calls? Let's do it. Load them up. All right. We have one in here, and I think – hold on. Let's check it out. Yuli. I think Yuli is a Butler fan. I think. But Yuli has always been a good caller, so we'll start We'll start with Yuli. Go ahead, Yuli. What's up, everyone? I'm, I'm so excited that you're all going to be coming to Butler. I know Xavier travel as well. Even if for every sport – that they play Butler in, they always pack it in. I got to give it to your fan base here, a good fan base. Yuli, I'm, I'm curious, how many sports do you watch Xavier and Butler play aside from basketball? All of them. I'm, I'm at all the Butler games. It gets me through the days. Love it, Yuli. Interesting. Wow. All right. Yuli, Yuli, yes. Yuli I, go to, I, I call a lot of uh, the soccer games at Butler. Not a lot, but I'll make it up to one or two in the fall. So if you're ever there and I'm there this fall, come up, come up and say hey. Um, if, if I stay and work in India, I'm graduating this semester, I'll definitely be there. I love the soccer There you go. Games. Congratulations. I, I'm, All right. What's your question? So my question is, what's the ceiling for you in the NCAA tournament? Do you think that you have what it takes to make a final floor run? I tend to think with the defense being as big of an issue as it is, at some point they run into a bad matchup 
by the the second weekend and they probably exit then. But I think second weekend is a very legitimate possibility. This team could be a sweet 16 or elite eight team. And I mean, if so, if somehow the matchups line up well, they can compete with anyone in the country. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that they're playing their best basketball. Desmond Claude and Jerome Hunter are really giving them a lift defensively. And they, they find a team that those two and Colby Jones can match up with enough guys to where, they pull off a, a big win that was maybe somewhat unexpected in the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight, and they finally break through to that that next weekend. But right now, I would say the ceiling, in my opinion, is is the second weekend. Yeah, I would agree with that. I was doing a March Madness preview earlier today, and I was talking. I, I was going through the bracket, and I was talking. I got to Xavier, and my point with Xavier is right along the lines with you, Rick. I think we will know pretty pretty immediately on Selection Sunday night whether Xavier what Xavier's ceiling will be because if you see two or three teams in the region that are bad matchups for Xavier as far as what what has tended to give Xavier issues this year um I just don't know I just don't know if if they man I don't know because I we keep saying that but they keep winning these games and I just keep going going back to the fact that maybe they just maybe they just do outscore everybody for three or four games their offense is good enough to keep them in the game with anybody in the country. The problem is at some point you will play a team that was like, has it rolling like Creighton did. And Xavier doesn't have the ability to take you out of that zone. If you've got it rolling as an offensive team defensively, it just doesn't seem like Xavier can disrupt that and, and overcome that with, with great defense. So that's going to be their issue. I would think at some point in the tournament. And, and I would assume that happens by the second weekend at least, but Again, maybe, I mean, it's possible that it, that doesn't happen, or maybe they just play their best game of the year in the Elite Eight or in the Sweet 16, and, and they get through to that next round. So, I mean, the, the, legitimately, offensively, they're as good as anybody in the country, and that can keep them in any game. Yeah. I've always said I would rather have a good offense than a good defense. I'm a firm believer in that, and Xavier has a really good offense. So, Well, if nothing else, it's just way more fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, that too. I mean, would you rather watch Houston win fifty to forty six every night, or would you rather watch Xavier win ninety two to eighty eight every night? So, Yuli, anything well, else? Will you be there on oh, Friday? Oh, I'll Yuli? be in line two hours before the game starts. Love it. All right. Well, I will be there too. I don't know where I'm sitting, but I oh, will be there we'll too. We'll make sure we find where you're sitting, and the student section will give you a nice welcome. <laughs> I love it. All right, Yuli. Thanks so much for calling. What's that tell you about Butler's season when uh, their biggest fan is calling into the Xavier show every week? Yuli's great. Yuli's always He's great. Calling. He's I great. Listen, I'm, I'm the only active Yuli. Butler fan on Twitter. I got to make my presence known to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, I Yuli. Love You've called in for right. years. We appreciate it. Thanks, All Yuli. Right. Uh, Southern Muskie was next up before our Alabama weekly update. Southern Muskie, how we doing? What's up, Paul? We're doing good. What's up, Rick? Good. What's up? So, pretty simple question um, in terms of scheduling and remaining games. So, Marquette and Providence, both ats, you know, those are going to be tough, obviously. But if you look at it for the remaining five games, home to DePaul, home to Nova, at Seton Hall, out of those five, what do you think is going to be I don't want to say it's going to be a trap game, but what makes you nervous of Xavier dropping an L to one of those teams um, or losing to one of those teams? I would think Nova, in my opinion, just because 
if I recall correctly, Xavier's never swept Nova in a regular series. Maybe they've gotten a win here and there, but they've not gotten to the point where they can sweep them. That right there does nervous me. I know it's at CentOS. I know there's home court advantage, but that's the one game where I'm a little bit on edge about. I was just wondering what your guys' thoughts are. So, so give me give me the games we're choosing from again. Yeah, so it's Butler twice, so at and then home, and then DePaul home. I think oh, it's all, the all the, are game. you talking about all the all the rest of the schedule? Yeah, Sorry. The yeah, the so for the rest oh, of the okay. schedule, but I'm leaving out Marquette and Providence. So the five games that could yeah. be winnable or should be winnable, I think, in the majority of opinion for from Xavier Nation. I would say, looking at this, I would say – I would not be surprised to see Xavier go one and one in the Villanova Seton Hall back to back of that Tuesday Friday. Seton Hall right now is playing a lot better. They got behind against DePaul on uh, on Sunday. I watched that game. They they were losing, I think, fifteen to two, and then rallied for a, a pretty easy win. The score was closer than that game ever ended up being. Um, but Seton Hall started one and four in the Big East. They're seven and one since then, and they have a, a win against Connecticut mixed in there now. Five of those five of those seven wins have come against teams 111th or worse on Ken Palm, Butler twice, DePaul twice, and Georgetown. But they are winning games, and as Rothstein loves to tweet out, are in position to be in position for the NCAA tournament. Look, Seton Hall is beating the teams that they're supposed to beat, and they're losing to the teams that they're supposed to lose to. They are yeah. just playing to expectations. When you look at even that one-and-four start, the teams they lost to – were Providence, Xavier, Marquette, and Creighton. And three of those were on the road. Their yep. only other loss in conference play since then was a home loss to Marquette. They yep. won against UConn at home. That's their biggest win in conference play. None of the other ones are very big, as, as you pointed out here. But, yeah, that Seton Hall game, it's not going to be easy. But the thing is, they just don't seem to have enough firepower on the offensive end to pull the upsets, especially on the road. So, I don't know that that game worries me as much. I, I think I'd point to Villanova just like you guys. Yeah, and especially you don't want to go – if you're talking about going one and one in that stretch, you don't want the loss to be Seton Hall and then have to go to Providence then the next Wednesday and risk going back-to-back L's heading into Butler. That's just that, – that's not a fun spot to be in uh, going into senior night and then turning things around there before the tournament. So – um, I guess if there is one game on the schedule that, that would worry me out of those, it would be Villanova at home. I will say this final note that what does make me feel a little bit better is seeing the remaining schedules for Marquette and for Providence, and even for Creighton for that matter, because they got to duke it out and they have to deal with UConn, which we don't have to deal with Creighton anymore. We don't have to deal with UConn. So I think it does play in our favor. But personally for me, if they can take care of and Paul, you mentioned this, earlier in the show if they take care of business you know and even if they potentially drop to marquette and let's say providence i still believe that you know again relying on yukon and all them if they can take care of if they can take care of business for us too they could be it they could actually win this but i mean i don't know it should be a really fun rest of the month and somewhat of a stressful month <laughs> in terms of the Big East title. But well, that's all I – Yeah, no, I, I think you make a great point because, again, I go back to what I said earlier. If, if Marquette loses tomorrow, if UConn beats Marquette tomorrow night and you just project out the favorites the rest of the way, that means Xavier loses to Marquette next week and Xavier loses to Providence after that. Xavier is still the number one seed assuming Creighton beats Marquette uh, the next week as – 
as it is listed right now, Creighton would be favored in that game. Now, obviously, that's at Marquette, I think. I think that's – it might not be. Um, but Creighton and Marquette play next uh, two weeks from now. And if Creighton was to win that game – That's at Creighton. Th- okay, that's at Creighton. So there you go. So if Creighton wins that game, as you know, they'd be favored. I'm just saying, if you're projecting the favorites, then if Connecticut wins tomorrow, Xavier could still lose at Marquette and at Providence, win the other games that they're supposed to win and be the number one seed. Correct. So – if, if that gives confidence to everybody listening, just you, we're all Huskies tomorrow night, as wild as that is to sound. Now, I tweeted it out earlier. I'm I'm playing the, the anthem tomorrow, <laughs> doing all that. To, let's go UConn, baby. All right. Bring it home. So that's Thanks, all I've got. Husky. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. Let's get our, uh, our weekly Alabama update in here. Nate Oates-Burner, maybe he has a Xavier question in tonight, Rick. Yeah, load up, load them up to Xavier fans because uh, this, uh, you know, so far we had a Butler fan and an Alabama fan calling in to start the show. So let's go, Xavier Nation. Step it up a little bit, you know. All right, Nato, go ahead. What's up, fellas? How y'all doing? Doing well. Uh, you know what you should do sometime? What? You should get the real Nate Oates to call into this show one time under your account. That would be a wild prank. Dude, I, I wish I had those type of connections, but uh, unfortunately, I did not. Dude, maybe. So, yeah, I actually wanted to switch it up, and I wanted to talk about Xavier. So, how about that? Okay. Um, All right. So, obviously, y'all just kind of went through the whole spiel with the remaining schedule and everything. I think y'all split the the two more difficult matchups and win win the games you're supposed to. Y'all go ahead and clinch the Big East. Go ahead and go grab that, you know, back two seed, top three seed, uh, whatever's on the table, and – uh May, just make sure Creighton doesn't win the, the Big East, please. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, all right. I mean, I know no other Alabama fans actually care about basketball, but do any of your friends feel the way you do about Creighton, or are you just the only one who hates Creighton? Dude, all, all Bama no, basketball you, fans. Both of my mentions from two weeks ago, they all hate them. Hate That's him. incredible. So, yeah. I- I mean, I don't know how many of the I don't know how many of the we there are, but I'm not joking. It was 12 straight hours of Creighton hate in my mentions after that spaces two weeks ago. Yeah. That's impressive. I didn't know there was like 12 Alabama fans that would stop tweeting about football recruiting long enough to uh, get into that with you. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a struggle down here, but I mean, we do have a uh, we we got a good bit of fans. I mean, obviously they're not they're not where I'd like them to be in terms of, of basketball following, but it is what it is. Not everyone can be, can be like me down here in the South. So, um, but yeah, so that, that's the note on, on Xavier. Paul, did, did you want an update on Alabama or how how about that? One Oh one 44 win. That's what I want to know about. What'd you think about that? That's what we needed. Okay. So that was awesome. Um, yeah, Bama, Bama beat Vanderbilt 101-44, if you didn't see it. Yeah, we, we won by 57. It was the largest uh, SEC victory that Alabama's ever had, so breaking records. Um, but basically, y- y'all all saw, we got we got cornholed by Oklahoma. We went out there like with super big heads. Like We're the number two team in the country. Nobody can touch us. And, uh, you know, when you start three freshmen, it's kind of easy to get into that mindset. Like, you know, we've won this many games in a row. Uh, we, 
we had won the previous game. We had been down the entire game and came back and won. So they're like, yeah, nobody's beating us. And we waltzed into Oklahoma, which I flew out to the game and uh, just got absolutely waxed. So that, that was um, that was something. <laughs> and then after that, we come back home and they're locked in mentally. So defense is all on. Vandy had 15 points at halftime. All right, I got to be honest. I just don't care. I mean, I just can't do it. I'm sorry. I had to. I had to remove him. Like I would have switched sooner to some Xavier stuff, but no one. No one had requested in, so um, I hung with him as long as we did. But I can't do that any longer. Oh, well, Alabama for my money would be the national champion if you were telling me to pick a bracket today. Oh, they're fantastic. I love watching them. I mean, Brandon Miller is just insanely good, but. I just couldn't listen to the whole rundown of Alabama's last three games. Okay. All right. Well, we, we do need other people to call in. I see Jerome Hunter applauding. Um, we haven't heard from Jerome Hunter or Jerome Hunter fan club. Somebody's going to inevitably think, I say this every week, somebody's going to think that Jerome, actual Jerome Hunter is calling into this show. Oh, Nick I. All right. Nick Ireland, get in here. Never know what to expect from Nicholas Ireland. Go ahead, Nick. Hey, uh, only question I really got was after the – not, I wouldn't say breakout game, but after really seeing what Kraft can do when given minutes, uh, if you guys would see him getting more of a rotation, and do we think he's officially taken over Kiki's useful minutes at all? Because I don't think he got in at all during that John's games. Yeah, uh, Sean said during his, his coach's show tonight that Kiki was sick in the days leading up to the game, and he didn't practice the day before. So um, I think that has much to do with Cam Kraft getting Kiki's minutes as anything. But that being said, he might have just gotten Wally pipped. I mean, Kraft finally showed us something in terms of confidence and wherewithal and looking a bit more like himself out there in a game situation. He's a talented kid. And Sean Miller said tonight, again, on the coaches show that his best basketball is in front of him. They still see him as as a very talented player and a guy who works really hard and and is going to be really good down the line. So I think – the thing with Cam is you're going to have to find matchups that work for him because defensively there are some deficiencies there and he just hasn't given you enough offensively yet to where you can feel like he's going to provide enough of a spark on that end to make up for the defensive deficiencies. But the one thing he has done a little bit is rebound. He's used his length and athleticism to go in there and crash the glass. So I think there's an opportunity to play him a little bit more as the season continues to go. I think, like you said, you can slide him in there for those Kiki Tandy minutes, which are probably going to be pretty few and far between anyways. Uh, but I wouldn't guarantee that just that one game that we saw against St. John's where they were rolling pretty much the entire time is indicative of more to come from Camp Craft either. My, uh, my last follow-up would be, uh, did because I, I haven't heard the coach show today, did, did he speak on uh, Kunkel at all? It looked like he was hobbling a bit during the, uh, the last game, if there was any concern for an injury there. I don't think anybody brought that up. I don't think there are any concerns. I haven't heard of anything lingering with Kunkel. So um, I will I will look into that and, and post it on the message board for you guys to make sure. But I, I did not hear of any updates on Kunkel or of anything lingering from there. Okay. Thanks, Nick, as always. Uh, let's go to Joe here. There we go. Joe, unmute yourself and go ahead. Hey, fellas. Sorry. I was trying to make that work right. Um, no problem. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, just a, a question for you guys. I'm just curious, more of a Big East, uh, an overall Big East question. So <clears throat> I'm just kind of looking at it. I think St. John's and Georgetown probably are due for, for coaching changes. Definitely Georgetown. 
Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you guys have a thought on, you know, what might be a good, who might be a good fit for those jobs if they do come open uh, at the end of the year. How realistic is Patino at St. John's? Is that actually a thing or is that just a troll? I have no idea. I, I, I mean, honestly, it. like it's just hard to get a feel for which schools would actually take the Patino thing seriously. And all it takes is one. And I, I don't think it's like an absurd idea. I think Rick Patino would do a good job wherever he is. He's probably the best coach ever in college basketball. And he still has at least four or five years left in a minimum, right? I mean, he's got, he's got, he's got one good, like, let's give it a go left in him. I think the thing, the thing is you have to be willing to say, we're just going to get Rick Pitino to rebuild us for the next five years to get us back on track. And then we're going to find something else because there's no guarantee you hire a guy that age and he stick around more than five years. Maybe he will, maybe he'll be Hubie Brown and coach Tilly's 85 or whatever. But I, I tend to think, you got to be at least be accepting of the idea that he's going to be gone in the next five years. So do I think St. John's is seriously going to end up getting Rick Pitino? I don't, I mean, he's probably got better facilities where he's at right now. Uh, Georgetown though. I don't know what, what would Georgetown? I mean, people have brought up Chris Mack's name multiple times. I don't think that's a horrible idea. If he's, if he has any interest in it. Yeah. But if he'd want to get back into coaching, which by the way, he is, killing it on field of 68 if anybody hasn't listened to him yet on that he's doing a really good job over there that's not surprising to me yeah he's doing a really good i i wondered whether he would get into the media thing or not but you knew that if he did he'd do a really good job and boy he's it's it's a very enjoyable listen but uh yeah what about what about mac if holtman left ohio state you think he'd go there I just I think Holtman's got a big buyout at Ohio State. I don't, I think, don't think I don't think Holtman's leaving or will get fired at all. But I think it's at least worth asking in the next couple of years. If things keep going like this. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Chris would be the the top option there. I mean, based on the way he left Louisville, I don't think he's the hottest name on the coaching circuit. I mean, there there would probably be some other names that a school like Ohio State would be looking at first. I just think Georgetown is in a spot where they kind of need someone in Chris Mack's situation where he'd be looking for an entry point to get back in and, and somewhat of a soft landing spot to speak to, to get his career back on track too. I don't like, I, I mean, who, who really wants that Georgetown job right now with the way things are, I, there are definitely some young and up and coming coaches, but in terms of established names, who's going to be that guy. I mean, I could see Chris potentially taking on that challenge. I don't know that Ohio State's going to be interested in him. I guess is my point. I think for Georgetown, they get they have to get away from the um, the whole John Thompson legacy kind of thing. Oh, um, you think? But, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm pointing out the obvious, but I mean, just really, there's still, from what I understand, there's still uh, some of the family that's still around there. They're still involved. Um, you know, they, they just have to move on. I mean, it's just it, it's a great. It should be a great job. And unfortunately, I think for them, you know, uh, Shaka would have been a good a good day uh, option for them a year or two ago. Same with Ed Cooley potentially. Um, although I think Ed Ed's got to be happy at Providence. I, I can't imagine him wanting to take that job. Where did He's the Ed Cooley to Georgetown thing start? Because yeah, that's, that's a good question. That's becoming <laughs> I don't know. 
that's become like a meme now in and of itself. And I don't know where it started because it's turned into a joke, but I don't know where it started. And it's it's definitely been a, a running joke now for the last Well, I don't want to say joke because there are some prominent people in the national media that seem to think that he would jump at the opportunity. But I just I don't know to go from one Big East school to, to the next when he's got what he's got at Providence right now. Really? Joe, Joe, do you? Do you mean to tell me that Georgetown isn't going to hire Josh Smith or Otto Porter? <laughs> <laughs> they might. I mean, yeah. Uh, so, anyway, we, yeah. It, but, again, um, what should be a great job, they just have to they, – they've got to turn their sights elsewhere. That's for sure. It's so bizarre that they've fallen down this bad. Like, that's Georgetown. It was one of the coolest programs ever. It's just hard to believe they're in this spot where it feels like it's going to be hard to turn it back around and hard to get the fan base engaged again and hard to get recruits to want to go there. I just, I don't know. It's really hard to believe they're in this spot. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Thanks, fellas. Great. Adam? Gentlemen. AB, what's up? How we doing? Great. What's going on? Not too much. I was just, you know, listening to you guys, and and I was thinking, like, do, do you think that that this team this season has in a way exceeded expectations or does it more come down to, in your opinion, making a run in the big East tournament, making the NCAA tournament and seeing what you can do there. Is that what it's more about or has what have, what they've already done sort of, I don't know, exceeded what you were expecting from this team. Adam, go back and listen to our preseason podcast and listen to the things I was saying about this team and what I expected from them, there is zero question they've already exceeded my expectations. <laughs> I think I said specifically that there's no way I can see them being first in the conference and winning 15 games or something along those lines. Hmm. I, I would answer that in two ways. I think I'm with Rick where they have exceedingly uh, outdone their, my expectations for this team. But I think at the same time, it's frustrating because you expected these things out of this team for the last year or two. And so now they're playing to their potential of what you thought they could do. And I'm not entirely surprised that this is where we're at. I just think that going into the season, we didn't expect this. But now that they're here, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm shocked by the fact that this team has turned into a, a team with a true point guard that is playing as well as they are offensively right now with a guy like Sean Miller that you know clearly spent an entire year revamping what he wanted to do from an offensive perspective. So I guess that's how I'd answer it, at least yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I just I expected them to not have nearly enough shooting on the offensive end again. Instead, they're what second in the country in three point shooting percentage. I expected them to be like middle of the pack in Big East and finish around five hundred in the conference, maybe a game or two over and they're doing what they're doing in that regard. So, I mean, there's no way that I could answer anything other than, yes, they've already exceeded my expectations. I mean, think about this. You guys both know this, but just for the people listening, 250th in three-point shooting last year, 229 the year before, 282 the COVID year, 236 the year before that, and they were 64th in Trayvon's last year. They're second this year, and they were first for a few hours until Utah State played on Saturday night. 
until you until you tweeted out they were first, Paul. Well, that, see, no, that, see, no. Yeah. Now, here's that was on. That was on Paul. That was on Paul. Here's the spin zone to that, Adam. I knew that Utah State didn't play till eight, so I had to get my clicks in before the eight o'clock. <laughs> There's the spin. That zone. is a veteran social media move. I will give Mark. <laughs> AB, what about you? What did you think coming into the season? I mean, have they exceeded yeah, your expectations? Yeah, I I don't think I expected this. Like, if you would have told me before the season that on February 6th, Xavier would be in first place in the Big East Conference, they'd be 11-2 and in the league, that they'd be doing what they're doing on the offensive end of the floor. Like, all of those things probably would have shocked me. Um, so, yeah, they've, they've exceeded my expectations. But now it's like – now I can't stop thinking about, like, the ending – you know, I know we aren't there yet. There's still some important basketball to be played, but I'm like, I this is my fifth year covering the team, and like, I I want to see them go on a run in the Big East tournament. I want to see what they can do in the NCAA tournament. Like, I'm eager to see how that sort of thing plays out because I've never got to really experience it before. You know, so I do think it is fair to readjust expectations midseason because think about what everybody thought about with the Bengals, right? For so long, it was just if you get in the playoffs, you win a game. All right, cool, everything's gravy. Like last year, you beat the Raiders, and all of a sudden, everything's gravy from there on out. No, by the way, you go to the Super Bowl and and you almost win it. Now this year, you're disappointed you didn't go to the Super Bowl. But in college basketball, everything is so fickle. You never know when you get teams like this again. I think under Sean Miller, you'd expect that they're going to be a lot more frequent. But still, I mean, this team right now is tracking to be a protected seed potentially a number three seed in the NCAA tournament. That doesn't come around every year, you know, and, and yeah. to readjust expectations, at least for me, for a, a team that I think all, all three of us would agree would have been happy with a seven or eight seed before the season, win your first game and maybe you get lucky against the one or two seed in the second game. But you're talking about a team that is probably going to be favored into the Sweet 16. Yeah, <laughs> that's wild. No, that's there's no question. I mean, Paul, my expectations have certainly changed for what they're capable of now and what they should do now. There's there's no doubt they should win a game in the NCAA tournament at least now if you're talking about what the expectations are for how they finish this year. But going back to the beginning of the season, yeah, they've already done more than I expected. Like I I expected them to be at 10, 11 wins total at the end of the year, not with what uh 7 games left to go. Yeah. 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 Adam, uh, do you, do you have anything just from over the weekend or, or any news nuggets? I always, you know, give you give you the floor for any update. Anything from the weekend from from anything? Um, no, you know, I I talked to uh, to Cam Craft after the game on Saturday, and I didn't necessarily write anything off of it, but like I, I just kind of filed it away for later. But you know, it was interesting to hear him finally like get to talk to him about what it's been like to, you know, you're a freshman, you're a four-star recruit, you want to come in and play and to not really get that chance, but at the same time to, like, stay ready for the opportunity, to be ready when your number is called. Um, so it was cool to to kind of get his perspective on how the season has gone and, and the fact that, you know, he the way that he has stuck with it and continued to work is clearly, like, a reason why – you're going to see him get a little run here. I know the Fremantle injury plays into that, but um, 
Yeah, that, so that that was a, a pretty cool thing to come out of the St. John's game, I thought. That's a really good point, too, that it, it, that's a big ask for a freshman, too, to basically say, hey, you're out of our plans for the last month and a half. You haven't played at all. And then all of a sudden, hey, we're going to need you a few minutes here tonight in a, in a serious game in the middle of Big East play. And he stepped up and was ready to go and, and looked good. It was his best game yet. I I definitely took note of that too, Adam, that I thought that was pretty impressive by him to to be ready when his number was called. Yeah. And it, and it, that was a good matchup for Cam, too, to get into a game like, you know, not just that it was a blowout, but a team like St. John's. That's a, that's a good matchup for Cam to get some confidence in, too. Scores on his first possession. Yeah, and I, I also like that he was kind of like around the ball, you know, like uh, yeah. there were there were a few plays where maybe there was a loose ball or a rebound kind of scored it out. And it's like when, when you notice a guy just being around the ball, that's generally a good sign. So I'm curious to see what he can do moving forward. If if maybe he can be a guy that gives you like seven or eight minutes off the bench and comes in and and hits a three or, or gets draws a foul and gets to the line and hits a couple of free throws like that. That's kind of his his lane this year, I think. So we'll see if he can utilize it and make the most of it. Adam, I, I want to ask you the question that Paul asked me earlier, if you don't mind. Um, how how much of what they did this week, winning two games without Zach Fremantle, how much do you think that's sustainable? Or, I mean, do you think they're good enough to keep winning games and playing at a similar level? Because it didn't seem like there was a big drop-off if you looked at the way they played Wednesday and Saturday. Yeah, I mean, part of it feels a little bit reactionary, like the fact that they just did it twice. But it also, when, when you look at, like, I rewatched both of those games, the Providence and the St. John's game, and they seem pretty comfortable, like, playing without one of their best players. Like, yeah, I would have thought that there would have been some hiccups, that the offense would not have flowed nearly as well as it normally does. I didn't get that sense from them at all this week. So I I tend to lean more towards it, it being sustainable. Um, and a big part of that is that, Jerome Hunter just like, you know, he's, as you guys pointed out earlier, he's not the same guy as Zach Freeman on offense, but I think a lot of the things he does sort of elevates other areas. You know, their defense, you you saw it in the Providence game, how beneficial it was that Colby Jones didn't have to exert 41 minutes guarding Bryce Hopkins, that, that Jerome yeah. kind of lessened that burden for him, and, and you saw what Colby did on offense. So, I think that there's a give and a take, but it'll be really interesting. And I know we aren't there yet. What happens when Fremantle comes back? Like I asked Sean a question after the St. John's game, just about, and I saw someone post about this on Twitter and I can't remember who it was, but they basically brought up Ryan Kalkbrenner and Creighton and how when Creighton didn't have him for that stretch, some other guys developed in a way that when he came back, it kind of made them a little bit of a better team. And I'm curious if that can happen to Xavier or, or what kind of situation you find yourself in when Zach does return to this team. So, But I do think that they can keep winning games without him, for sure. Yeah, well, one of the things to your point about you know how, how different would they look, and especially offensively, because you, you take Zach out of the mix, it's like, okay, they're going to be able to get the ball inside at the same rate that they've been able to do. Cause it seems like one of the things that they've screwed up opposing defenses with is making you choose who you're going to put your legit big guy on. Are they going to guard Jack Nungy where 
you're going to get stretched out on three-point line a little bit more, but you still have to respect him in the post? Or are you going to put him on Zach, who's not going to shoot the three as much, but is definitely going to punish you in the mid-range and in the post a lot more? That's screwed some teams up. Are they still going to be able to have that dynamic? And that's what I was impressed with in the Providence and St. John's game. They're still doing a lot of the same stuff. They're getting the high-low action still. Uh, sometimes it's Jerome throwing it. Sometimes it's him catching it and still find a way to score or draw a foul. Um, they're running the cross screen plays. I mean, all the stuff that they've been doing to get the ball inside within their flow offense and, and within their occasional actions and sets, they're still finding ways to do. It might be Jack Nunji getting a few more of those looks inside as opposed to Zach, but it, nothing really changed about how they're getting their looks or what they're trying to do offensively. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's just if Jack if Jack Nungy's going to continue to step out and shoot the ball the way that he did this past week, like yeah. that's a that's a crazy wrinkle for their offense when uh, your seven footer can step out and hit three or four threes a game. Like I know that's asking a lot, but he did it twice last week, and that's just such a luxury a luxury for an offensive team. There was a hilarious moment in the St. John's game where Jack clearly just realized, and maybe they even told him from the bench, like that St. John's is just completely losing track of you after the initial ball screen when they go into their drop coverage. Like they just have no idea where you are after that. So there was a play where he sets a screen, he rolls into the lane and immediately just like runs a U right back out to the top of the key to the three point line. They leave him wide open and he switches three. And it was just like, I don't know that I've ever seen a center run that route where they run the pick and roll and then immediately loop back out to the top of the key. It was, uh, it was great. Yeah. All right. AB, anything else or uh, you get you done? No, I'm good. I, I'll, I'll let some uh, some Xavier fans fire away at you guys. All right, All right. great hearing from you as always. Thanks, yep. Adam. Likewise, guys. Yep. Uh, we have. I think Ahmad was first up. We have a couple lined up here. Uh, Ahmad is at the train station. It sounds like Ahmad. Can you guys up? hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Where are you at? So I'm actually on the treadmill getting it in, boys. But I had a I had a couple questions, if you don't mind. Unless if this is if it's too oh. much of a, of a no work on <laughs> work on your going. fitness, son. <laughs> so all right, a couple questions. Um, uh, roster for next year. One one guy that I keep debating in the back uh, in my head, back and forth, if he's gone next year or not. Colby Jones. He's got impressive numbers: fifteen, five, and five, shooting about what fifty two percent. You guys think? Is he is he gonna go pro next year? Or do you think it's not quite there yet, and an extra year will get him there? Or is he pretty much his full potential here in college? It's gonna um, be interesting. One yeah. thing I think you're gonna have to look at is what does he end up shooting from three point range on the year? If it's like forty three percent or something, what's he at right now? Like forty two, forty three percent. If it stays that high all year, and granted, it's not on a ton of attempts. But I think it's on enough attempts that it could almost be like the Derek Brown situation where you're probably not going to shoot that high of a percentage again next year if you come back. You might just need to go and strike while the iron is hot. And and it could very well depend on how Xavier finishes the season too. I mean, we know, we've seen it time and time again where a guy raises his draft stock by playing well in the NCAA tournament when everybody's got their eyeballs on him. So uh, it's possible that could be the route for Colby where he really shoots up the draft lists and the mock drafts right there before the draft occurs this spring. But um, uh, my guess is I would lean towards him leaving after this year. 
Yeah, I, I would. You look at more and more mock drafts now of the NBA, and I've started to look at a few here in the last couple of weeks, and it seems like Colby just keeps climbing and climbing. And most of them now, he's pretty much a consensus bottom of the first rounder now. And if you get into the first round, it's hard to hard to see him coming back if he's a consensus first rounder. Yeah, that pretty much makes sense to me. If you're in the first round, you got to go. I, I wish he was a couple of inches taller, like. 6'8", just to let him play that small in the NBA, because at 6'6", he's probably only a two-guard, but he's just playing playing really, really well right now. And then I have a question for Adam, actually. I saw Adam, I know I saw you at the end of the Providence game with Santa. Is Santa as robotic as he sounds every podcast and on Twitter? I mean, I said hi to, I just said hello to the guy, and he hit me with two stats. Not, hey, what's going on? How are you? He just hit me with stats. Is he, always, is he always like that? Or do you, is, I guess all you guys know him. Is he always like that, or does he have more personality? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's, he's such a, a rare bird, man. Um, I love him, by the way. I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way. I love Fanta. I, I'm, a Fanta I'm a Fanta fan. I'm just, I was just like, oh, okay, nice to meet you. Thanks for the two stats. I'll be on my way now. <laughs> It was funny. During that game, he kept leaning over, and he's like, I got a stat for you. I got a stat, and he kept doing it the whole game. Um, but, yeah, he's such he's such a treat to be around. Like, no one loves college basketball more than Fanta. And um, Rick and I have talked about it before on here, but, like, sitting next to him during a game is basically John broadcasting a game as if he was, like, on, on air, on live TV. It's just – and it, we've had him for two really good games at Cintas this year. He was at Marquette and he was at Providence. In both games, he was just losing his mind in this media bunker, and no one could really hear him except for the two people sitting next to him. So he's such a treat. Yeah. he. Uh, it's funny you say that about the stats because I he walked up to me in the in the media room after the game, and he just he, he just starts spewing. And then at one point, Adam, did you hear him when he goes – I just I got a stat for the room, and then he, he just started yelling out stats in the media room after the press conferences were done, and they were all interesting and they were great. But he just just out of nowhere, just looking at his computer, he just goes, "I got a stat for the room," and everybody kind of looks and goes, "What do you got for us, John?" The, the great like, thing about John is I don't think he does any drugs. No, no, no his drug is Biggie's basketball. I don't even think I've had a be- actually. I, I I have had a, a beer with him. That's not true. Oh. It, it was uh, at the Big East baseball tournament. I think you were there, Paul. And yeah, I've, to us. I, I've had a few with John after the uh, Big East men's basketball tournament, and then uh, it's you get to that point, and it's just it's another. It's it reaches another gear. And the one thing I will say, and I've said this before, I think on here, whatever you see on camera of him is what you get off camera. Like he's he's no different off the camera than he he's he's on button is always it's always on it's always on i mean i remember there was this and i don't think he would mind me telling this we were it was after the 2019 it was the year that phil booth won the big east tournament we all went out so after the final at the big east tournament everybody like you know it's a long week everybody's kind of worn down so we all went out to one of the bars across from msg afterward we'd all changed our clothes and john's there there was a bunch of us there all kind of around the same age and John's just walking across the street from MSG, just to nobody, to nobody in particular, just screaming about Big East basketball. Just, just, 
just to the to the, the average New Yorker on the street, just screaming, Big East basketball, Madison Square Garden, the Big East tournament, just everywhere. It was great. Well, one thing I like that he does during the uh, Field of 68 shows that they do at night is he calls everyone by their last name. And, like, and just when he's like, Mac, when he's talking to Chris <laughs> Mac. Like, every time he, and, he, and he says it like every before everything he says. It's like they say something, it comes back to him, and he's going to ask Chris a question. But he starts it, and he goes, Mac. And then he goes on with whatever <laughs> he's going to say. It's just, I don't know why, but I love that about him. Yeah. I texted him, I texted him earlier today to get him in here, but he said he, was, uh, he had something going on today, so I don't don't I don't know if he'll make it in here tonight. Well, he had he had a pretty legendary spaces of his own earlier today, so he's probably. Can we talk still... about that for a second? Pete. Yeah. yeah. What hap- What happened to that guy? Did you did if you didn't know, we John Fanta during his spaces earlier had a guy named Pete who d- left his mic open and his wife came into the room and like told him he was the worst father ever over a Reese's cup. Apparently <laughs> I, I think he ate his kid's Reese's cup. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Fanta texted me and he said that the guy DM'd him to apologize that, that he left his mic open. Apologize. And apparently, yeah. And apparently everything's okay. I guess he was like playing a joke on his son who loved Reese's cups and his wife didn't take too kindly to it. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be offensive, but she needs to lighten up a bit, doesn't she? Like, it was God, perfect. Lee, can you imagine timing. living with her? It was perfect timing. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, I I quote tweeted. If anybody's listening right now and has no idea what we're talking about, I quote tweeted uh, the video from the call. That somebody had a recording of it, and I quote tweeted the video of it. So yeah, you can go back and watch it. Someone tweet at Pete. See if they can get him in here so we can talk. Well, to I him. did. <laughs> I tried to. He tweeted. He tweeted that it was okay. He tweeted afterwards and said everything's okay. I mean, what else is he gonna say? <laughs> no, my marriage is over because I ate my kid's Reese cup and my wife is crazy. I mean, well, maybe nothing. And he <laughs> doesn't sound great. Left, maybe nothing. He just would have left us all to our own devices. That's fair. I'd still yeah. like him to come on and clear it up, but I'm with you. All right. Uh, Jerome Hunter fan club has been spamming the emojis, so we'll get we'll get Jerome in here. Ahmad, was that it? Before we go to Jerome, was that it, Ahmad? No, that's all I had. Appreciate you guys, and uh, thanks for being my treadmill entertainment. And uh, hey, Paul, happy belated birthday, man! <laughs> thanks, Ahmad. Uh, th- I shout out to Ahmad for getting it in on the treadmill, putting that work in on a Monday night. Yeah, my uh, I I think I've been I've always been a happy birthday guy because so I never liked chocolate growing up, or I still don't. I still don't like chocolate. So whenever I went out to a uh, went out to a restaurant, everybody would tell me all year long it was my birthday and they would just get the free dessert and it'd be like a chocolate cake and everybody else would get it for free and then I'd have to wear the crown. So it's just been a running running gag forever that my birthday is just year-round for everybody else's enjoyment. You wild and zany kids. I cannot right? believe you're doing such right? mischievous things. I know, right? You Get a little wild, Rick. All right. All, all right. right now. All right. Jerome Hunter. Get us back on track here. First and foremost, all thanks and praise to our most heavenly Messiah, Jerome Hunter. Amen. I I have to talk about this Pete situation because I nearly died earlier today listening to that, and I thought I just witnessed <laughs> a marriage tumble apart. Okay, I, what I you got to talk about? I just I, I just I I first of all, we need actual confirmation that he's alive. A picture. 
you know, maybe a restraining order if that's, you know, needs to be taken place, so be it. But just something that confirms he's alive. I know it's he's not going to get coitus for probably the next month. That's whatever, you know, that's going to happen. But coitus? The lady said he was the worst father ever over a Reese's Cup. I don't think he's had coitus in years. Well, I mean, now that he's Twitter famous, he's got to get, I mean, I might do something, right? That's true. It might not be with her, but yeah. <laughs> I just, that was probably the most wild thing I've ever heard. I was so concerned for him. So happy to hopefully hear that he's okay. Should I play this? Should I play this clip real quick? Yes. Yeah, just play it. Just play it. Um, uh, are you, would you start Lingen or would you start Sonogo if you were Dan Hurley? Is that good? You don't like this kind of reason. You're the worst father in the world. I thought we split. <laughs> 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 what did he say? I thought we were going to share it? <laughs> I thought we were going to share it? I have no idea. Pete, get in here. Where are you at, Pete? So Pete then tweeted. Pete tweeted at 5.53 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I was messing with my son and wife about the candy. Dot, dot, dot. Forgot Mike was on. Dot, dot, dot. All good, everyone. One, two, three, four, five, six exclamation marks. Yeah, I'd say probably don't joke around with the candy again. Top reply, did she make you type that blink twice if you need help? <laughs> I mean, Stockholm Syndrome is a real thing. Tough. Tough. That tweet he tweeted back has 20,000 views. So that's, not, that's honestly not enough for how great of a clip it was. Hopefully Pete's okay. You gotta you gotta listen to uh, Fanta's monologue after it too, because that is a treat itself as well. Yeah, he did finish up the, the Fanta clip. waxing poetic about marriage or what? Just just play the end of the clip. Just just play the whole thing, Rick. Just just pick it up from where you ended. I thought I thought I did. That's oh. that that not it. No no no. Uh, I don't know if I can do it. There's more to it. Yeah. The game. Someone's what getting happened? roasted on the line. Sorry to hear that. I was going to take him off. Yeah, I think, I think a, uh, yeah, I think a marriage just might have been. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, back Klingon, the first uh, game, he had one point, uh, uh, 10 rebounds. Hold on, hold on. Just let's hold for a second. <laughs> I hope that they're okay. Uh, Dr. Phil's coming up at 4 o'clock on NBC. Uh, um. I can't believe what I just heard, um, but uh, man, Pete, I appreciate the compliment. I, I think I'm sure that you can bounce back here tonight, and um, I don't think you're the worst father in the world. But my goodness, um, Pete just suffered a devastating. <laughs> that's that's where it ended. So, yeah. That's uh, poor Pete. Shout out to Pete. I'll try. I'll get this back on track. I think the biggest thing to note about Xavier is their lack of fouling, especially from Jerome. I, you know, everyone wants to get in my mentions. Oh, Jerome fouls. Oh, Jerome fouls. How about you shut up? He doesn't foul. I've been Sean Miller. Sean Miller pointed that out in the Providence game. He said, and he said recently, the thing he's done better than anything else is defending without fouling. And he pointed to the Providence game specifically about how well he played without picking up fouls. I, I, I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but I'm convinced he's either gotten two or three fouls in the last two games. Yeah, he only had one against Providence, and he only had one against St. John's. Yeah, he, had, he had two against Creighton the game before Providence. He had two against UConn. He had none against Georgetown. 
I mean, he did fa- he did foul out in the DePaul game that they lost before that, but we don't need to talk about that. No, no. I mean, but since then he's been great. I so my my question is, especially recent performances you've seen at home that Xavier's done really good with foul trouble. Um, my question is going on the road, especially for this Providence and Marquette game, and then I guess potentially if you want to loop in Butler in there for Yuli, make him happy that this is a huge game this Friday. My question is, how big of a concern is it playing away from home foul trouble, just considering the fact that you do have one less player in Fremantle? And it does seem to be that we do like to foul a little bit more on the road for whatever reason that may be. Well, I mean, it's it's like any foul trouble the rest of the way is going to be a concern as long as you're without Fremantle, just because you're short on guys. Um, I don't know that it's uh, more of a concern when you go on the road than it is at home, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a concern. I didn't, I, I didn't know if you had much thought into just sort of, you know, going away. They just, I, you know, concerns and concern, I guess. So doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I, I, I honestly don't have the stats on that to, to bear it out. If they foul more on the road than they do at home, I mean, it's possible, but it's probably because the rest are cheating more than anything. If you had to ask me, <laughs> I absolutely agree. Yeah. I'll, my final thought, I want your two's opinions. Um, so for those that don't know, I went to the DePaul game. Um, worst experience of my life ever. My question is, we have the opportunity to go to the Butler game. However, some people have expressed to me that I'm a bad luck charm. No, and being, don't exist. I, okay, but I'm a very superstitious guy. And I, you know, I, all I'm asking for is if I get approval from high enough people within the fan base that I'm allowed to go, I will probably go. But I just need the vote of confidence from the fan base that I'm allowed to go. Jinxes don't exist, Jerome. You're more than welcome at Hinkle on Friday. But if they lose, it's on you. Just know that. I'll just um, also throw it out there that Hinkle stinks. Like, it is not <laughs> It is not a fun place to go. It is completely overrated. Well, Wintrust Arena wasn't fun either, but look at me now. So, <laughs> final, thought, final thought, Paul. Please beat up Tom. Um, this kid doesn't know anything about college. Tom Iser? <laughs> no, 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 no. Brenneman. Brenneman. Oh. I, uh, I, I've tried to do my college basketball segment. I think we're going to do more. He's off his rocker. He needs to be on some sort of medication or something. He can't, he can't go one week being like, oh, college basketball is meaningless, and then go out and be like, well, Big Ten's going to be is underrated this year. Like, like, calm Don't worry. We'll get into all that, that this week, Jerome. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great one. Um, Lumpy Dumper, where are you now? True. <laughs> no, no sighting of Lumpy tonight. True. Uh, okay, Wet Sean Miller has been requested in for like a half hour. So let's see if we can get him in here. Go ahead. Hello. How you guys doing? Uh, hey. So first off, um, that Ed Cooley to Georgetown rumor started with the clown king Jeff Goodman. Um, so there's that. Um, but my question for you guys is um, – what do you think truly crowns the, the Big East champion winning the regular season or winning the tournament? Winning the regular season. Regular it's season. not even close. Regular season. It's not even a – yeah, that's not even a yeah. – yeah. there was some, some Twitter back and forth all week with, uh, with Big, East, Big East Twitter. It was all over. Georgetown fans are the only people that could possibly think 
it matters no, if you win the tournament. UConn, the UConn fans are all oh, over it. UConn, you know what? I did see this. Um, I did see this now that you say Villanova that. Villanova fans also well, said that the tournament is more important. You, you, you got to be fair. UConn did just come from a essentially one-bid league in the American Athletic Conference. <laughs> so that, their their conference tournament did mean a lot to them. It's, true, true. Um, also, and finally, uh, Hinkle is an absolute dump. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks. The tough part is the bleachers. Like, can we at least get backs on the seats at the top? Uh, my thing is, if you want the, if you're just a fan of the movie Hoosiers and you like old stuff, go to the old Hoosiers Museum gym that all the high school teams were playing at this weekend. I saw a bunch of New England Kentucky teams were at uh, the the old Hickory High School gym or whatever they call it now. Uh, some some museum thing that they've built to make it look like the old Hoosiers gym. It's not actually at Milan High School. It's somewhere else, but. Um, yeah, just go go there instead. Like this, Hinkle is not cool or nostalgic. It just it's crap. Yeah, I, I have a feeling. I have a feeling, and I know uh, Yuli mentioned this earlier, and I've been talking about it on the on the message board. If anybody is listening to this that is thinking about going on Friday to the game, I would highly recommend it. Um, it is a lot of fun. Paul, are you getting are you getting paid to sell tickets to this game? No, you've been you've been hyping this up, or because it's just it's just fun. I I I enjoy it. I like I like Hinkle. I mean, I'll just say it. I like it. I I don't really have anything against it. I like it. I enjoy it. I think it's a lot of fun. It gives you a chance to get out and have a good time. And maybe because I've seen him win a lot there, it's just I have a lot of good memories from there. I've also seen him lose a couple of times there, but it's mainly good memories from Hinkle. So it's just fun going to an opposing arena and hearing a lot of x in the arena so yeah in, in your in your agreement with chatterbox sports your contract does it have a non-compete for selling tickets for butler university or is that kosher <laughs> yeah that's okay like, you know i gotta I, I gotta probably go back and read the fine print i guess yeah you might want to you might want to check on that because i think you've crossed some lines over the last week or two yeah but uh yeah it's good i i just i've gotten a lot of people tweeting at it i figure it's easier to just do it here than to do it at, uh, you know, keep answering everybody. Just do it in one fell swoop here. No, Indianapolis is a great city to go stay in overnight and hang out in. I just – I do not think much of Hinkle. And, and Hinkle's location is not good either. Yeah, that's true. It's north of the city. It's like five, six miles north of the city. It's not like you're just – it's you know, you're not driving to Indianapolis and then just, oh, it's right there right outside the city and you're walking there or anything. Like you got to go up to Butler's campus. Yeah, not great. All right, do we got any other calls? Uh, Yuli's been in here, but I have a feeling he's just going to try to back up, uh, back up uh, Hinkle. I don't think we. I can add him in here, but I don't. I'm not seeing anybody yeah, else. If there's any other Xavier calls in here? Get in here, otherwise uh, we'll end it. What's with all this? Yuli, did you have anything? What's with all this Hinkle with disrespect? When I came on, I was nice and respectful. I did not take a shot <laughs> saying that Xavier yeah. was going to lose to Butler in the Big East tournament for a third year in a well, row. Look, I, and now you're look, disrespecting it, a historical landmark. That should be a federal crime. <laughs> Yuli, I, I didn't I didn't say anything bad about you. I'm not being rude to you. We like you, but it I mean it doesn't change the fact that your team plays in an old dump that everyone like for I don't understand why everyone gives it a pass. It's not it's not nice, it's not cool, it's not I, I don't get it. It just everyone talks about it like it's this great thing and it just prevents Butler from upgrading to something that would actually be. So nice. you're gonna pay the money it takes to renovate it to the standards Xavier fans want? Well, I mean, I don't know. Xavier fans seem to love it, so I have no idea. Like Xavier fans love going there. That we I don't, we, we, we are Xavier renovating fans. it. We are building a practice facility too 
in the next couple of years. Oh, so we are renovating. You're gonna put in actual urinals instead of a trough. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I kind of like the trough. <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I think Hinkle deserves more respect. It's been around for a long time, and it's a national historic landmark. Yuli, are you more of a trough guy or a long johns guy <laughs> in a men's bathroom? You know what? When I go to arenas, that really doesn't phase me. I'm just there to see my team win. Right. I like I like long johns personally. <laughs> Troughs are intimidating. I got. I don't know. I don't know why we've gone away from long johns. No one really has them anymore. They don't put them in any new gyms. Yeah, you're right. There's great. Uh, it's just like you're walking and peeing on the floor. <laughs> no aim required. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank <laughs> thank you, Lee. Uh, we do have two more here before we get off. Pat, go ahead. Hey, guys. Paul, I saw you uh, at the Providence game. Uh, I didn't quite get to say hello to you. I, have, I haven't really talked. I haven't met you before. Obviously, I know who you are, but next time I uh, see you, I'll, I'll give you a shot. Yeah. Um, I am from Indy. Um, I can confirm Butler is an absolute trash can. So that is the uh, that is that's facts. Um, it's just reality. Yeah, I mean, everybody just everybody from Indy loves Hinkle just because of the history and the tradition. But but what's the, what's the history that it was in the movie Hoosiers? Is that the history yeah. to it? I mean, that's the only. I, that's just not enough for me. I'm sorry. No, that's just I, not I, I absolutely agree. I'm. I'm from. I've been living here my entire life. That's all I hear about. Every time I walk into Hinkle, I just, I, I'm blessed to walk into Centos uh, every time. So, and I'll also go- take it a step farther. Hoosiers as a movie sucks too. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, but I've been to. Uh, I actually went to the uh, the Hoosier gym though, Rick, the other day. It, it is is a cool little place. If you're ever, yeah, that looked pretty yeah, cool. It is. It is pretty cool. They. Uh, they had to change a couple things because they they do have like they have a bunch of games like throughout the years for high school. So they got a three point line now, and they redid a couple stuff. But you know, it is pretty cool. In college, I dated a girl from Milan, Indiana. Yeah, and like I went to the high school and went in that gym, which wasn't very cool. It's just there's nothing really that neat about their high school gym yeah. currently. But every business you go into around there. They have a picture of that championship team. Really? Yeah, they all try to like have a tie it's, to it. It's actually really cool because um, there's one day I went there. I was up there for work one day, and I like stopped by because I'd never been before. And they like there's a couple people there that just they show you around and they just give you a tour and they let you shoot baskets there like th- throughout the day. But no, it's, it's it's definitely cool. But I actually had a question for you, Paul. Have you been yeah. to? every big east arena no i have not um i've actually only been to a handful of them i haven't been to so i've been obviously to georgetown i grew up in dc so i've been to a lot of georgetown games um i've been to xavier i've been to hinkle i've been to i'm trying to think of the other i really haven't been to that many um obviously msg but that's not even st john's um i probably only three or four of them i have I haven't been to Wintrust. I went to the old, what was that, Allstate Arena, the old one yeah. that was down in Rosemont. Yeah, I've been to that. Um, I've been to Marquette, but they, it wasn't a game day. I just was there. Um, I, so I, I didn't see a game there. I just was uh, there on campus for a day a few years ago. I went through campus the day that uh, Xavier played at Wisconsin, the, the famous J.P. McCura game. We, we drove through Marquette and 
saw campus and the arena and everything. Um, but no, I have not to answer your question. Okay. I was just curious as from your, what, who has the best, like who has the best Big East like arena or I, 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 I th- this probably isn't going to sound genuine given the fact I just said, I haven't been to everyone, but the more and more I talk to people and the more and more I hear about it, there's such a value to having an on-campus arena like what Xavier has or what Butler has. Or um, I, I'm i trying to think, who, what other team – does anybody else play a gamble? Isn't the pavilion on Nova's campus? Uh, yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But even the pavilion before – now it's nicer uh, now that it's been renovated. But even before that, I mean, there's just – Xavier has to have the nicest on-campus, actually on-campus um, facility. I mean, you think about when St. John's plays at Madison Square Garden. Obviously, that's huge. But Carneseca is a high school gym. Uh, the uh, Providence is Providence is close to campus, I think. But I don't think it's. I mean, it's not definitely on campus. And then the other one is is UConn when they have to play at the XL Center. That's like a half hour, forty minutes away. So. As far as facilities go that are on campus, um, I think you would be hard-pressed to find a team or a, uh, a program in the Big East of the 11 schools that has a better on-campus situation than Xavier does. Gotcha. Figured I asked, but... Yeah. Appreciate, no, appreciate it, it, is, it has been a goal of mine, Pat, to get to more. And uh, I was thinking I, I might be able to get to the to Marquette game this year. I don't think that's going to happen. It's not out of the question yet, but... Um, you know, hopefully in the next couple of years I can get to all of them. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Are you going to be there Friday? I will be there Friday. We shall zip them up. All right. See you then. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, Rick, I got one more here. Brendan's going to be the last one. All right. Let's do it. Brendan, what do you got for us? Paul, Rick, how are you? Great. What's up, Brendan? As long as we're continuing to talk about Hinkle Fieldhouse, I will say one good thing about it. Um, and Matt Norlander hit on this in today's Ion College Basketball mailbag episode. Um, he was talking about how it hosted the NCAA tournament a couple years ago. Um, I think it hosted like a noon game or an early afternoon game where, you know, the, the arena is built so that the, the windows are facing East and West, um, the sun shining through those windows. And like, you see the players reflections on the court and it's just like, it's, it's something that's just so pure about basketball. Um, granted, there were no fans in there, which probably made it a little bit better. But, um, you know, like Hinkle Fieldhouse has that aspect to it. Fall Gallon has that aspect to it. Uh, there's a high school gym in northern Kentucky, or not not really northern Kentucky, but it's Augusta High School. Um, I played there one time in a, at a noon game. The sun was coming through the windows. Like, just the, the gym being lit by natural light is one of the greatest things about basketball. Uh, so, I mean, I, so like you just want me to put some windows in the arena? Like, there's a lot of crappy arenas with windows in them. You know, I mean, that's a fair point, also. But I just seeing, okay. I, I think no no fans in the stands made it a little bit easier for like the the players themselves. Their reflection was on the court, which is pretty cool. If, if I'll take I'll take that, your word for it. it. It's funny you say that, Brennan, because that part of the podcast with with Norlander, I I stopped, I paused, and I got home right as that. Uh, Right as that was going on. So I, I heard the, the very first part of it, but I didn't hear that when he was talking about the natural light. I cut it off in the middle. Um, well, he he as long wasn't as the, talking about it. I just thought about it when he said it. Oh, oh, oh gotcha. 
Um, I, as long as the light's not getting in your eyes, you don't have a uh, Jerry World situation going on. Well, that's also why the, the court at Hinkle is facing the wrong way. It's facing north-south instead of east-west, so the light doesn't get in your eyes. But I, the fact that the court's facing north-south makes it worse because you get five rows of stands on either end. It is really weird when you walk in. That is that is the one thing. I think, I mean, obviously it sounds like I enjoy it more than Rick does, but I, you walk in and it's, it's just oriented weird because you walk in and you walk in on the side and then you walk in and there's like nothing on the ends and it's just all cramped. Yeah. The, the baselines have nothing. Whereas the, the sidelines are just so deep. Yeah. It's, yep. I mean, it's, it's almost like uh, Vanderbilt where I, I don't know. I haven't been to Vanderbilt or I haven't seen their arena recently, but um, you know how like the, the team's benches are on the baselines. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right. Well, Brendan, appreciate it. Pat, appreciate it. Rick, anything else? No, is that it? I think that's it. All right. Well, Xavier uh, Xavier has – you want to do a quick anything? I mean, I'm pr- we pretty much exhausted everything, but is there anything we haven't talked about with the Butler game that we should hit on? Probably not. No, bad. I mean you feel you feel very confident about Xavier winning this game, right? There's no way this is a slip up game. Uh, I there are slip up games on the schedule for Xavier, but if this was one of them, I would be shocked. I mean, Bum- yeah, Butler. to me, it, no, I was just gonna say it's not the team that that's 181st in offensive efficiency, right? Like that's not the team that's going to give Xavier the most problems. Yeah, and and they've lost what six five in a row, I think five in a row, and and. Yeah. Four of the five have been by twenty or more. Like when they lose this year, for for people that haven't followed Butler or seen anything about Butler, they've won three Big East games. They beat Georgetown, DePaul, and Villanova. It seems like they always beat Villanova at Hinkle. But when they lose in the Big East, and their margin of losses in the last in, the, in this five game losing streak, they've lost by I'm going to do this math here on the fly: 21, 30, 21. 21 and eight and the eight was to Marquette at Fiserv over the weekend. So when they lose, they lose big. And like you said, I don't think that this is a matchup that gives Xavier a ton of issues. No, I don't either. I I expect Xavier to roll on Friday, especially with the few days off leading up to it. You had the overtime game last week. You had the quick turnaround. Sean Miller said on his show tonight that he gave the players Thursday off after the overtime game against Providence. He said, I really didn't have a choice, even though we were on the short turnaround for St. John's. It was just had to get them off of their feet and let them recoup. And they got back after it Friday, which I'm sure was just a light walk around and and previewing St. John's and then played that game. So now you get a nice long rest here leading up to the Friday matchup with Butler. You don't play again until Wednesday at Marquette. So, yeah, I I don't see this being a slip-up game for Xavier at all. I think this is one that they should roll. Yep. All right. Rick, anything else? Uh, yeah, well, last week we did tease a little something at the beginning of the show. We were talking about the uh, promo that was going on 24-7, and we mentioned that you know it was kind of exciting for me because uh, basically what was going on at the time and what has since been finalized is I am no longer working at Channel 12. Uh, for the last five years, I've been full-time working overnights in the newsroom at Channel 12. Before that, I had uh, full-time. I was at the Enquirer, and I had other full-time jobs before that. Basically, the last time that I was only focused on college basketball coverage was when I was in college, finishing up at NKU, 
And I was a full-time student then too. So there's a lot of focus. So um, granted, I'm still doing NKU basketball games, calling those. And there are a, a few other things on the side that I'll be participating in. But right now, this is you know the most dedicated I've really been to Xavier and just college basketball coverage in general since I started doing any of this stuff. So it's kind of one of those uh, you rock with me and I'll rock with you type of situations. If we can keep building this site over the next several months and lead into next season. I, I mean, there's a chance that I just never go back to doing other stuff and, and, and I stay focused on Xavier and college basketball. So um, I appreciate all your guys help all the people that took advantage of the promo last week. Thank you for that. That was a big boost and uh, be sure to check out musketeerreport.com. Plenty of coverage coming up over the, the final weeks of the season here. And also be sure to subscribe to the rebound rundown podcast on any podcast app that you get podcasts on. Uh, it's great for local college basketball fans. Yeah, Rick, you'll be on tomorrow, and then I'm having Fanta on for Thursday's show. So got plenty of Big East content this week on that. Um, but, Rick, uh, yeah, congrats on that spot. You've been a uh, you, you've been burning the midnight oil for as long as I've known you and talked to you that you and I can go back and forth at 2 or 3 a.m. if we're recording something. So uh, congrats on that, kind of getting your life back to a normal schedule at least. Yeah, it, t- today was great. Today was the the first day of my new life, so I, I enjoyed it immensely and uh, look forward to trying to bring you guys as best Xavier content that I can. And hey, congrats on, uh, you haven't had a kid yet, but you're expecting one, so congrats on that too. Yeah, due at the end of uh, July, so a lot of good things going on here at the, the Brewing Household. Cool. All right, well, to everybody, I mean, Man, we've been going on for about an hour and a half here. So thanks to everybody that called in. Rick and I will be back probably with another Spaces next Monday night. The only game this week uh, for Xavier, it's a bye week for Xavier. So the only game is on Butler or is against Butler on Friday night. And then next week, ratchet it back up. See that huge one, Wednesday night against Marquette. But we'll podcast before that. So for Rick, I'm Paul. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on the Musketeer Report podcast.